Well, hello to our listening audience. Welcome back to this edition of Teacher Chat. This is a special edition. Uh, we're, we're talking about mental health matters. And so um, I'm without my co-host today, uh, and she promises me she's soon to return. So uh, everyone out there say hello to Tyler, uh, and she'll be back with us the next time. But I have some awesome guests uh, with us today. Uh, for the second time, uh, our superintendent is with us, uh, as well as Dr. Sarah Bodie and Dr. Danita Thornton. So I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves and say hello uh, once again, and then we'll get started with our topic. Thank you, Dr. Walker, for inviting me back um, to talk about this very important topic. Um, I am a proud parent of a Columbus City School student and I have the privilege and honor of serving as our superintendent and CEO. And I'm Sarah Bodie. I'm a pediatrician that works at Nationwide Children's Hospital, and I work in our school health department. So thinking about how we connect health services right inside schools in Columbus City Schools. And I'm also proud to serve as the medical consultant for the district in health services, too. I am Dr. Danita Thornton. I am one of the supervisors in the psychological services department. I am also one of the district trainers of restorative practices. So I'm really excited about being here. This is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Awesome. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of different practices that we can engage in uh, for social, emotional uh, wellness, but Dr. Danita, when we were in the green room, uh, which is just off to the side, we don't have a green room, um, you were sharing uh, that you have a, a mindful moment practice. So thought it would be a great idea for us to do that together on this topic. Thank you so much. Um, so I am taking this practice from April Kantz, who is one of our school psychologists, and she is also a mindfulness practitioner. She is teaching the young people at Mays Elementary School about mindfulness. Um, in fact, she has trained fifth graders to begin uh, sharing in mindfulness practices with second graders. So mm -hmm. teaching them about how to breathe deeply, how to check in with themselves, how to use singing bowls. So I brought my own singing bowl, Gigi. And so she <laughs> She's going to assist us with our mindfulness practice. And this is called the gratitude breathing exercise. So I would just like you to close your eyes. Well, if you feel led to do so. So you're, you can close your eyes or you can stare off. But this is just your moment to receive. I will begin the practice with two bells, two singing bell. Um, and then at the end of the practice, I'll do one. So that's you'll know then. All right, we're finished. All right. All right. And I'd just like to invite you to sit comfortably and close your eyes. Take a nice deep breath in. Exhale slowly. Listen to your body. Visualize something you're grateful for. Let that image form in your mind. Feel why it's important to you. Let that warmth spread through you. With each breath, let gratitude grow. Feel it in your heart. Silently say, thank you. Let the words resonate. We're gonna repeat this one more time, each time thinking about something or someone for which you are grateful for. You're gonna take one final deep breath. And when you open your eyes, carry this gratitude with you. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Dr. Tanita. I think I was ready to begin before we even started. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you said close your eyes, like, no problem. Where, where, Say where? less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wonder what would happen if we 
replaced our school bells with uh, mm-hmm. with the singing bowl, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but um, certainly appreciate um, that opportunity uh, just to slow down. Um, and as we um, start to discuss our topic today around mental health, um, you know, a lot of things that um, are resonating with me that I've, I've been thinking about, um, certainly um, more than we could uh, ever, we could fill several podcasts with with all of the different topics, but I think I wanted to start um, with you, Dr. Chapman, and, and then um, Dr. Danita and Dr. Sarah Bodie, um, giving you an opportunity as well to, to to talk to us about like what do you see as being um, the biggest concerns in, with with our with our teachers in the classroom as it relates to wellness. Um, you know, certainly uh, we're a year, I guess, out of the pandemic, right? There's mm-hmm. still some, some after effects. Um, and this, is, this podcast is called Teacher Chat for a reason. It's around centering teacher voice and the teacher experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly, uh, Dr. Chapman, both you and I have been teachers. I don't, I don't think you've been a teacher, but certainly no. teacher adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dr. Bodie working in our system um, with, where the majority of our employees are, are teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just curious to, to see sort of what your line of sight is on um, the most relevant or the most significant um, concern that you have around wellness for, for, for our teaching staff. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dr. Walker. I certainly think that um, I'm glad that you called out that um, we are still recovering from the pandemic. We as adults, we as educators, we are students our community. Um, even when I think back to, um, you know, some of the, the, those long hours, those long days that we spent uh, from months on end working on um, revamping um, the student experience during the pandemic, it, it's kind of like I have PTSD when I think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it was really, really challenging times that we were leading in. Um, and when I think about um, the challenges that our teachers face right now as they're dealing with wellness, um, certainly I'm mindful of the burden that um, they carry as it relates to dealing with the increase and mental health needs and challenges of our students and how that weighs heavy on their hearts, how that weighs heavy on how they show up as educators. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we know that post-pandemic, our students are having higher rates, our cases of, you know, depression, anxiety, feelings of isolation, um, just making sure that our students have that sense of belonging so they feel connected to their peers. There are mental health challenges that they're experiencing that's preventing them from making those natural connections that our students were able to make pre-pandemic. And so I imagine that our educators are feeling the weight of that burden. They are thinking about, you know, what else they could do differently and how they could be of greater support to our students who are tremendously challenged right now post-pandemic with dealing with mental health challenges. And that's even more prevalent for our middle school and high school students, Mm -hmm. right? So when I think about our secondary educators and I think about the results of the most recent CDC report where they named that our teenagers, middle school and high school, um, have you know, they have higher rates of, you know, suicide, anxiety, depression, isolation. Um, And it's, it weighs on us. It weighs on us all as parents, as teachers, as educators, as service providers. We want to be able to support our students so that they can be them best, they be their best selves. Mm -hmm. But clearly, there are, um, non-academic factors um, that are posing a significant challenge for us to even be able to provide them with the ac- meet their academic needs. And so we have to attend to it. We can't ignore it. We can't sweep it under the rug. We have to think about how we um, provide them with a safe space 
to unpack what I call is usually what they bring to school in their invisible backpack, Mm -hmm. which is the trauma, the experiences, the feelings that they have. We have to unpack that backpack in order for um, us to be able to truly serve them academically to begin meeting their needs. It's not a question of whether or not we should. It's a question of how we do that work together and collaboratively so that we can really meet the needs of our students. So I would say that our educators, again, across the district, pre-K through 12, but more so our secondary educators are experiencing the impact of um, dealing with higher rates of um, you know, anxiety, depression, mental health challenges of our teenagers. And then we also know Um, And I'm sure parents experience this as well. But we also know that social media looks a lot different Mm. than it used Mm -hmm. to. And it's playing a significant impact and role in how our students interact, Mm -hmm. how they respond to conflict and uh, just their ability and attention to focus, which impacts their mental health. Mm. And so the U.S. uh, Surgeon General issued a report and called, um, you know, the the impact of social media is one of the pressing and glaring issues of our time right now because our students are engaged so much more now on social media in some ways in very unhealthy practices. Mm -hmm. um, It impacts their sleep patterns, right? It takes away from um, them being able to sleep well at night. It impacts their ability to attend to any task, uh, their ability to focus. It impacts their ability to regulate their emotions and their feelings. Mm -hmm. So there may be a small interaction that they have with the peer, but they overreact and respond to that in such a negative way because of the impact that social media is playing Mm -hmm. on um, their emotions, the way that the brain functions. And so these are all some of the challenges that I think we are collectively experiencing globally. Yeah. Um, as parents, as teachers, as community members, as service pri- providers, there isn't a room that we go in that I go into when we're talking about the needs of our students that we don't talk about the impact of social media and the impact of mental health challenges on our students and our our, our families truly because it impacts us all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say that those are probably some of the um, top challenges, common experiences that our educators are facing today that um, is top of mind for us. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that you um, mentioned social media. Um, A friend of mine shared a book with me. I can't remember the author's name, but um, it's called Generation Z. Uh, And one of the the main premises in the book is it talks about um, not only does technology do things for us, it also does things to us. Yes. Uh, and our kids who, you know, that we're servicing now, uh, most of them were born between 95 and 2010-ish, you know, mm-hmm. um, some younger. Uh, but um, that, that particular generation, is that's the iPhone generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and just when you think about it, like our experiences as compared to our parents was much more similar than our kids' experiences as compared to ours when it comes to technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just such a game changer how students interact. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, appreciate that, uh, mm-hmm. that doc. So thinking about, um, Sarah, from your perspective, um, mental health provider, you've been working with our system, Um, What do you see as some of the concerns that that resonate with you? One of the things that I think is really important to remember is that, you know, we have such an issue right now with the mental health of our students. And, you know, Dr. Chapman, as she mentioned, some of those statistics, it's not like, oh, here's this pocket over here of students who needs help and connections now. It's everyone. Everyone. Mm -hmm. So if you're a teacher and you're in your classroom, the reality is half of the students in your classroom have had feelings of hopelessness over Mm -hmm. the last month. Half. And a significant percent even, you know, more serious symptoms, right? Like thoughts of self-harm or other things. So I think, and and the other half of those students are friends with those students and are dealing with it with a family member or a friend. So, So this is now affecting everyone. So I think the thing to think about then is rather than just individualized, right? Like, you know, trying to to suss out and understand it's like, what can we do to have a culture and climate where everyone's leaning in Mm. and we're all helping together to Mm. help promote Mm. the mental health of all of our students. And then of course, all of us working together to recognize when we have someone who might have more serious symptoms that needs to then connect to a mental health specialist or provider, you know, we have to have a lean in system for that. And I think kids are actually better at this than, than we are, but 
no stigma around that, right? Like we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. So you're setting up a support network in the schools that has all of those layers just readily available mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. students, mm -hmm. right? So. We always say, you know, I'm a pediatrician. I'm not a um, mental health provider per se, mm -hmm. but but I am, right? Because when kids are coming in, even just for their shots or a sick visit or whatever, one of the things we do is assess their mental health every single time they walk through the door. Mm. Well, why do we do that? Because we know <laughs> that a significant percent of them are struggling and have that invisible backpack, and mm -hmm. we're trying to unpack it just mm -hmm. like the teacher is, right? Mm -hmm. And so we we take that on too, and I think, again, like everyone that's interacting in our school climate. And for teachers, it's check-ins for each other too, right? Yes. Because yes. the adults yes. are having those same <clears throat> issues or mm -hmm. having family members. So I think it's trying to set up a, a system that um, – really has structured supports, absolutely, but also a culture and climate that's saying, we care about this, we're gonna recognize it, and we're all gonna help each other lean mm -hmm. in as mm -hmm. part of the solution. Because, I mean, it is hard for teachers. They have a lot, and that's that's a secondary thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're also trying to meet these academic needs of their students, too. And and like you said, they may not be able to do that effectively if you know their classroom setting isn't mm -hmm. one that will support the mental health of those students. So mm -hmm. we've got to give them the resources and, and make it easy and for everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I love that you mentioned systems, right? And um, we have... Uh, Dr. Danita here, who is a school psychologist trained, but she's also trained in restorative practices. Yeah. And so um, we have a Office of Whole Child, so this will be, we will have a part two to this um, where we invite some of our practitioners from that office. But I'm curious about your perspective, um, you know, dealing with mental health and not only from students, but, but teachers, but also sort of from a systemic standpoint in terms of restorative practices. What, what, are, what are some things that we can do that sort of attend to this um, in an integrated way across our system? Yeah, <clears throat> this is great conversation. Even thinking about um, how do we create safer spaces for us to begin to have these conversations, to normalize the fact that if you're not doing okay, it's okay. Mm. That you don't need to shoulder this by yourself. You mm -hmm. don't need to exist in isolation. And so one of the things that I, I really respect about restorative practices in the work is that it, it allows us, it gives us language, common language. Mm -hmm. It also helps us to think about because restorative practices is the science of relationships and community. It's mm. not just the relationship with um, others, it's the relationship that you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. And so checking in with yourself on a regular basis, mm -hmm. knowing and being able to identify when you are not okay, mm -hmm. and then thinking about, all right, what is it that I need in order to move forward? Mm -hmm. And so that piece of it, if nothing else, for us to just gain, again, that awareness step as a step one, the other piece of this, too, is looking at how we show up in our communities. So when you think about the number of people who are feeling stressed or pressure, especially in our schools, and we continue to exist in that manner without paying attention to what is really going on and being honest about it, not just brushing it under the rug or saying, oh, it's that person or that situation or that administrator or that policy, but really holding ourselves accountable when we know we could do better um, is another aspect to this. I love social discipline windows. So Social discipline window as part of restorative practices is really looking at how individuals who are in positions of authority um, or who have influence, because we all have influence. I don't care what your position is. Mm -hmm. you, we all have the potential to impact others in ways that are harmful in some instances, unfortunately, or helpful or healthy. Mm -hmm. And so what does the walk to with look like? And with meaning that you are providing um, a high level of support and encouragement to others while also holding high expectations and, and setting those those firm boundaries and being clear about that. And so I think as leaders, no matter what your role is, teachers, um, parents as well, how am I operating in that with space with others so that um, individuals know that Yes, I have a partner here. I have, I have someone who I can collaborate with in order to move this thing forward. So there are many layers, but I think step one is just to gain some level of awareness about where you're operating. Yeah, what I 
what I heard there was sort of like mindset. Yes. Um, you know, this like sort of just foundation setting um, as it relates to like how are we going to behave and engage and work with each other differently? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sarah, you had something you want to add? Well, I think it's really <clears throat> important too. like when we see kids, for example, in the healthcare setting, you know, middle school, high school age, that maybe they endorse some symptoms of depression when they come to see us. What we know from from research and studies is that just the idea of answering a form, acknowledging it. So now we're all on the same page together. Like they've shared with someone that mm-hmm. I'm feeling this way, right? That's mm-hmm. step one. And then they have this person there that's that I'm with you, validating that, and then talking about even some basic practices of, of how they can you know, do some mindfulness, some other things. A really large majority of those students will be much improved six weeks later, mm-hmm. just because they found someone to engage with. Mm-hmm. They were able to share and get that load off mm-hmm. and really think about for themselves, like, what can I do to kind of have this connection with this person that's willing and with me mm-hmm. to, to get better? Now, that doesn't take a... a healthcare professional to do that. That's all of us. Mm-hmm. So from a teacher standpoint, sometimes you feel overwhelmed, right? Like, well, what am I going to do about all these <laughs> all these issues? I mean, I refer out, but just to acknowledge, like even the fact that you might be checking in with that student mm-hmm. and they know you care and you're acknowledging that you recognize and feel that they're having some of those symptoms or a little more withdrawn, that might be enough mm-hmm. to really change their trajectory. Yeah. And so feeling empowered that sometimes that can be just as impactful as connecting them to you know specialty services so i just think that with them is really important and knowing how much influence we all have Mm -hmm. i mean i think that's really great yes Mm -hmm. yeah you know um i think that check-in piece is critical right i was just talking with um a kindergarten teacher and he was saying that he checks in with his kids every day um and i'm like i'm trying to imagine what a check-in with 26 kindergarten But okay, Uh, but I think it's so valuable, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because he's one that I've seen in the classroom. I mean, an an exemplary teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that fosters sort of that that bedrock of his kids knowing that he cares about them um, goes a long way uh, Mm -hmm. for for what they want to do for him, right? And Mm -hmm. and their level of effort. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I think um, I want to go next to think a little bit about restorative practices, because I know, um, Dr. Chapman, for you, that was a specific commitment Mm -hmm. um, that you made um, to the community, something that I know that resonates with you, that you care deeply about. Mm -hmm. Um, Why was that something for you that um, was so important? And and how does that connect in your mind to this whole idea of of mental health matters and, and wellness as it relates to not only staff, but also students, I mean, all of our school school community? Yes. So as um, Dr. Danita um, so eloquently said, um, this work starts at the top. And so it was very important for me to um, show um, our community and our staff that I am willing to commit to restorative practices not only professionally, but also personally. And so that means I carve out the time in my schedule to engage fully and deeply in the training and make sure that the rest of my team carves out the time in their schedule to engage fully and deeply with um, in the training. It was very important for us to say that this work starts with us here at Central Office. This was not something that we wanted to, again, um, tell the, say to the schools, we want you to start this work. No, it starts with us. And so we have prioritized this work because I know that restorative practices is not a strategy just for our students. It's also a strategy for the adults. Mm -hmm. It's a strategy for our leaders. It's a strategy Mm -hmm. for our department leaders. It's a strategy for our principals. It's a strategy for our secretaries. It's everyone is included in restorative practices. And when we say that we truly intend to be a district of restorative practice practitioners, that means everyone. So everyone is inclusive in the all. And so we want to make sure that everyone has the resources, the common language, the strategies in their backpack, Mm -hmm. the tools in their toolbox to really be able to engage in meaningful, um, intentional ways to build relationships, um, to build community with themselves and with each other. Mm -hmm. And so we really, I, I feel like that 
and in and of itself is a game changer Mm -hmm. that will significantly shift the culture in our organization, in our offices, in our classrooms. And eventually it'll shift the culture in our community because we are sending the signal that this work is important and these are new strategies and new ways of interacting with us. It's a new way of being. It's a new way of doing, a new way of leading, right? Um, And so I have been very intentional about, again, carving out the time, making the resources available so that um, all of our staff, as well as students, have the opportunity to embrace um, this new way of being. Um, Certainly, we have also invested in a pilot where we have student-led restorative practices teams, which brings me the most joy (laughs) Um, to see our students leading this work with such intentionality. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are amazing. You, When the students say, okay, circle up, (laughs) we're going to handle this. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, it's just so empowering. It You can see their wheels are spinning. Um, we had students come to one of our board meetings um, last semester, I believe, and they helped the board members facilitate a restorative circle. Mm-hmm. We were in tears. Mm-hmm. We were in tears. It is. And then this back, backpack was full. Yes, <laughs> yes. It was, oh, it was overflowing. Yes. And I almost went there with Dr. Danita said, you know we stress. And I was thinking, is she talking about me? Like, Who are we talking about? Okay. okay. Don't start crying now. You can do this. It's a safe space. Yes. yes. <laughs> Stay on topic. Um, yes. So for all of those reasons, mm-hmm. we as a district um, are committed to um, investing in restorative practices and um, really making the time and space for um our staff, our administrators, mm-hmm. our teachers, our students, and even our families to be a mm-hmm. part of this important work. And I certainly believe that um, while this is a our strategy, this is work that truly changes you as an individual, as a participant, because mm-hmm. not only am I using restorative practices as a leader, I'm also using restorative practices at home as a mom or as a daughter. You know, when I have conversations with the family, Mm -hmm. guess what? This is a restorative circle. (laughs) They don't know it that (laughs) they don't know that. I don't use that terminology. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, these are strategies that are helping me uh, cope with life. Mm -hmm. These are strategies that are helping me navigate the many myriad of conversations, decisions, conflicts that I encounter throughout the course of life. Mm. You know, that's a hat that I can't take off. I'm human no matter how I show up. And there's going to be conflict. There's going to be bigger decisions that you have to make. And so these are strategies that really help um, process the emotions, process the feelings, Mm. process the harm Mm. at times Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, may have occurred. And so it's really, really helpful. I feel more confident and more competent um, in my role, um, as well as um, as a parent <laughs> um, or a family member, when I can rely on tools and resources that can help me navigate those experiences. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Dr. Liz McNally, yes. who's leading <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. the work. Yes. Um, and, and certainly um, is building some capacity throughout our district. So thank you, Dr. Liz. We are thinking about you as we're talking about the work today. Absolutely. And I would also like to um, acknowledge the support and commitment from our Board of Education. Um, our board prioritized this work when we set the guardrails hmm. for Columbus City Schools, and they named restorative practices as a key priority and strategy that they wanted to make sure that we prioritize. And so certainly we have um, been able to accelerate that work now. The the guardrail, the expectation was there, but we've been able to move that work further and faster along now with new leadership Mm -hmm. and a new and renewed commitment about uh, really it's all hands on deck approach. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just very grateful for um, the alignment there between the board and the administration, and we'll continue to uh, make sure that we prioritize this work. Absolutely. 
So, um, Doc, you mentioned that, you know, not only you, but your team was, was trained. So I went to the two-day uh, restorative practice uh, training. And I learned um, that, because in my head, right, and, and probably for some of the listeners, too, because um, we hear about restorative practices, but then you, you often, at least for me, think about, okay, what are the other things I know that are mm-hmm. similar to this if it's a newer mm-hmm. concept? Mm-hmm. Um, so restorative justice. And so that sort of puts you in a space or put me in a space where I was thinking, like, it's more about a response to harm, right, mm-hmm. um, which it is. But what I learned was that it's also proactive. It's not just sort yeah. of reactive. Very yep. much so. Yeah. Um, it's, it's sort of preventative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this idea of, you know, circles and, and, and dialogue and, and making sure that um, we're, we're sort of level setting with the folks that we're getting ready to work with or, or be with in, in the space um, is, is not just something that restores harm, although it does, but it also um, builds those healthy relationships so that we can move forward more effectively. Mm-hmm. So I wondered, I know you've been, you know, you've got the, the, the deep training, right? I'm, I'm sort of just, <laughs> I'm in first grade, you in 10th grade, right? <laughs> right, right. So I'm in elementary school when I'm sort of practices, you in high school. Listen, but, I've, uh, I've been doing this since uh, 2017, 2018, when the okay. district initially rolled out restorative practices, but buildings were able to decide if they were interested in restorative practices or trauma-informed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to thank you all, really, the the intentionality around this work, because back then we had maybe 90 minutes to present elements of restorative practices. Mm-hmm. We did not have the commitment of two full days of training. And so that has made all of the difference in the world. I think the last training that I did prior to this rollout, I had what was supposed to be 90 minutes turned into 60 minutes <laughs> and then tech issues. So we literally just talked about the continuum, mm-hmm. um, which you mentioned, Dr. Walker. So on the proactive side, which we typically want to spend about 80 percent of our time that proactive side of building those relationships. So thinking about circles, that's one tool that uh, most people utilize in order to build a sense of community because you can do a lot with a circle. You can introduce concepts. You can have your check-in questions. You can check out. It's very easy. You can do it within 10 minutes. You don't need any other resources but yourself. You just need to show up with a question, talking piece, and then let let the conversation evolve the way that it, it, it needs to. Um, the other side of this, which restorative conferencing, restorative justice falls on that other end of the continuum, which is about 20 percent or so of the time. Mm-hmm. But the, the intention is that if you have spent 80 percent, 80 percent of your time building community relationships, then when it's time to have those difficult conversations, mm-hmm. you have that relationship established so that it's mm-hmm. not coming from someone who you don't trust. Mm-hmm. You talk about culture and climate. That's a key piece of it is making sure that you're holding people accountable, but you're also doing so in a way that's compassionate, that you're not shaming them in some way, because we think about the um, stigmatizing nature of shame. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about harm and we are suspending individuals and we're not having a conversation surrounding, one, what happened, how those who were impacted, how they felt about the situation, and really allowing all parties to bring their voice into the space, we're causing more harm. Mm-hmm. And so through a restorative practices, land. we are looking at how can we reintegrate that person into the space. You're still a part of our community. Mm-hmm. We don't appreciate or we don't um, like what you may have engaged in in terms of behavior, but you're still a part of our community. And what do we need to repair the harm? Mm-hmm. So all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, you mentioned two words that I think are so key to all this and it's empowerment and confidence, yes. right? So if you're having, I'm thinking if you're a teacher in the classroom and now you're thinking about all the things, you're thinking about behavior that's going on in your classroom, but you're also thinking about the mental health of your students. Mm-hmm. Part of this is getting that empowerment and confidence that you feel like when you are having that interaction, when you're noticing someone who may be um, having symptoms or in trouble and you're doing that check-in, you have to feel feel pretty confident that you know what to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? What you can say, what tools you have, that you know how to build that relationship so that you feel like you can engage around that because it probably would make you nervous, right? If you're not sure exactly what you want to say to a student that you feel like might be having significant depression in your yeah. classroom. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it you, you have to have a place to start there. And part of it's that relationship if you've already developed it. But then part of it is some of those like tools of mm-hmm. what you can do to engage in that conversation 
conversation. Mm -hmm. And then they might not be ready for it. Mm -hmm. So then if it doesn't go well, that won't make you retreat and not try again because you'll have done it, mm -hmm. right? And you'll have the confidence to keep reaching out mm -hmm. and, and having your students reach out to each other. I mean, I think that's sort of that lean-in mentality that mm -hmm. we all need to have. But it's not always easy. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, all of our, our teachers that are out there listening know that there is a plan uh, and mm -hmm. training is, is coming. Yeah. Um, uh, Doc, I want to um, sort of lean into a, a topic that I think is related to this. Um, that's perhaps the elephant in the room, but probably more broadly the elephant in the nation, uh, which is our national teacher shortage. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if in your mind, you know, you see a connection between wellness mental health and um, and that 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 shortage or maybe not but I, I just was curious what your what your line of sight might be on something like that absolutely so this is a topic that I um, you know discuss with my colleagues and peers across the country who are in the role and you know this is certainly something that's top of mind for superintendents for administrators and for teachers mm -hmm. right um, we're all wondering who are the next generation of teachers where are they and when are they coming <laughs> and so please come soon yes. <laughs> yes. we need you yes. yes right so we're all thinking about that um, certainly I think that, you know, we started off thinking about what's top of mind for our educators and our teachers across the district and across the country. Um, but I would say that, you know, teaching today is a lot different than teaching yesterday or teaching 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah. It looks, it feels, it sounds differently. And so um, I know that um, our students who are college students certainly have lots of options, lots of pathways now that they probably didn't have before. Um, and so we we have to make sure as our teachers, as educators, and I still see myself as a teacher today, um, but we have to make sure that we are being the best ambassadors for our profession. Mm -hmm. And so we may not think that we are the ambassador. We may think that that's someone else's role of responsibility when in reality, it's us. Every teacher, every educator that's in the seat it is all our responsibility to be serving as an ambassador to recruit and to retain educators. As we talk about mental health and mental wellness mm -hmm. and the wellness of our staff, that's a retention strategy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I can go another day mm -hmm. because I know I have colleagues and team members who are supporting me on this journey and in willing to invest in my wellness and my well-being. And then you're going to pass that on. You're going to say, no, come work here. Come be my colleague. Come teach third grade with me because these are all of the resources that we have to support you on the job. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this conversation certainly overlaps. It's all interconnected, interrelated. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that we're um, really investing in our staff, investing in our teachers so that they have the tools and resources to deal with today's student, mm -hmm. because today's student is different from, you know, yesterday's student. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but we also need to make sure that we have the necessary resources to support our educators so that they can be show up as their best selves and they can be those ambassadors. If they love their job, they love what they're doing, that joy will emanate from them mm -hmm. and they will be so excited about the work that they're leading. They will run and tell everyone, you know how good news travels fast, right? And so, Public education evangelist. Yes, yes, yes. And you can be a teacher and you can be a teacher, right? And so I think that's the type of energy and um you know, support that we need so that everyone sees themselves as an ambassador. Mm -hmm. I know when I started in the district, we had um, a few retired educators who were part-time recruiters, mm -hmm. right? Well, that was before the national teacher shortage, right? So we have not shifted our model yet to think about, well, who's doing the recruiting? Mm -hmm. We all need to be doing the recruiting given the national teacher shortage and how desperate we are for talented educators who are committed to serving our students. Mm -hmm. And so we 
we we all need to lean in again another topic that's like all hands on deck mm-hmm. how can we all do our part to support um and um really show um the world and our community um how this is really a work that is worthy of making a commitment to yeah i um you know i often reflect on sort of my own experience, right, and and then talking to prospective, uh, you know, teachers, you know, folks that are in college or, or thinking about um, teaching, and it's such a, a, a critical role. Um, but you're right, I mean, it's changed dramatically, mm-hmm. um, you know, since I started in 1999, you know, and I think about, you know, what the, you know, what the challenges were then, what the opportunities were then, and how it, it looks different. It just looks different today. And so I think the more that we can be intentional, um, to your point, and, um, you know, I, I, that was a softball because I know that you think about these, <laughs> these things all that's, the time. That's one of the topics that keeps me up at night. Yeah. OK. All right. So, yeah, I mean, and, yes. and it's keeping not just you, but probably every superintendent, you know, or yeah. at least urban superintendents across the nation, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so. Yeah, I'm curious. Any any thoughts on on that from from your perspective? Yeah, we um, so I created a mentor program for our new school psychologist. Hmm. Um, it's been in existence. This is the ninth year, and I noticed after the pandemic, as we were transitioning back in, um, that I had to start creating time for our new people to just be. And what I mean by that is just to show up, you don't need to do anything, just receive. Mm -hmm. They were coming with such heaviness, emotionally, mentally, trying to navigate, being in in some instances, you know, this was the first um, real employment that they had coming out of graduate school, the... um, the size of our district, navigating mm-hmm. the various aspects, having multiple building assignments mm-hmm. and, and balancing that. And so as part of the mentor meetings, we start with one, a check-in. So we do a temperature check. Mm-hmm. If you had to describe yourself as weather, what would you say? And so even that question would prompt such conversations surrounding what was going on in their worlds. Mm -hmm. We still had topics that we needed to get to related to compliance and special education um, and making sure that they understood um, just the weight of ensuring that their evaluations were comprehensive and that they were meeting the academic, social, and emotional needs of students. However, we couldn't get to any of that stuff until we created the space for them just to vent. Mm -hmm. Not only vent, but to release what was going on in their inner worlds Mm -hmm. that we like to think they're separate or that we're able to turn it off and turn it on, but we can't, we can't. And until we look at even how our meetings are structured, are we building in time during our meeting schedules just to have a Mm check-in? The agendas are fine. The to-do lists are fine, but we have to be very clear and very intentional about what it is we do to just say to our people, I see you, Mm. I care about you, and it's okay for you to share whatever is on your mind, there's no judgment, Mm -hmm. and to do so in a compassionate manner, Mm. consistently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, that's going to be so critical for us. Uh, No pressure, Liz, as we we move (laughs) forward, right? It's really thinking about what the, and and it's all of our work. I mean, I'm I'm joking. Uh, You know, seriously, it's, it's all of our work. Um, but thinking about like how do we sort of integrate and create systems and a cadence um, where this just becomes a natural part of the work that we do mm-hmm. and it's not, mm-hmm. not something that sits outside of it. Uh, and so I think that's a, an opportunity that we're up for. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so we're getting ready to, to bring the, the plane in for a landing uh, here. So a, as we, we close, I, I, I have a question for you that this is a, it's a personal question around how do you uh, – um, De-stress, right? And you have Gigi, so that's it. You're, 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 you're cheating a little bit. So we've been exposed to your 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 tactic yeah. already. But I'm, I'm you know, there, I'm sure there's there's other things as well. Um, but you know, what do you know? Whether you you might go home or this might be something that you do daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Uh, but just curious, what that what that is uh, for us? Oh, there are a number of things. Okay. However, I love to travel. 
And so, and I love to experience just different cultures and different people and engage in authentic conversations. Mm -hmm. I want to know the story behind the story. And so I make sure that even if it's a road trip, I am experiencing something new because that helps my creative self dance a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, It helps me to grow. So I'm always looking at how can I grow forward no matter what life is throwing at me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so sometimes it's dancing. I laugh at myself dancing. <laughs> I go to Zumba and I think I'm turning up until I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, girl, you in slow motion. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I, I really I love music. So live music mm-hmm. anywhere. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Sarah, how about you? Well, I mentioned in our in our green room, right. this way. I'm a talker, so sometimes the like quiet mindfulness stuff that's really hard for me. Usually, I'm thinking about a lot of different things during that. But I did good on yours, Gigi, today. She was she was good. Um, I think for me, honestly, I'll just say it's humor. Like I have three teenagers at home who my senior wants to be a math teacher, so we'll okay, get him right, on the list right, to come right, back. Yes. We have a job. That's what he wants to do. Yes. Um, so I. For us, like trying not to take things too seriously at home, yeah. finding the joy and the humor in, in daily situations. So, mm-hmm. um, and really just trying to de stress that way. So, yeah. I just try to find those moments where I'm getting just joy out of yeah. even like a silliness of a moment or something else. And it just reminds me to sort of, um, even if things are weighing heavy, like what's, what are the things that are just really going well that you're grateful for that bring you joy and, Making sure you're celebrating those every day, mm-hmm. um, and so we and we talk it out. So we we say those things uh, daily to each other too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. What you got, Doc? So um, I have an eight year old at oh, home. Okay, got it. And so <laughs> I spend a lot of time playing. Okay. Right. So and that is a way to really de stress. Uh-huh. Right. When we can go to the playground or we can go to a rec center, trampoline park, or maybe we're at home, we're building Legos, we're playing soccer, we're playing football. Mm-hmm. You know, it's through play. Yeah. Right. And so it is certainly an opportunity as well as a requirement in right. my house <laughs> that we squeeze in some play at home in the I've, I've met your young person. Yes. <laughs> it's ready to play. <laughs> but I appreciate that, right? Yeah. Because right. he could be in a space where he's saying, I don't want to play. I want to mm-hmm. be, you know, tethered to this video game. And right, it's like, right, right. So that's a real tension where I keep, to, I make sure that I'm pulling him away from that and mm-hmm. we engage in play, right? And usually I'm letting him lead the play, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you want to do? And I'm following. Um, But in addition to that, for me, um, I certainly try to practice Mm self-care where I think about, you know, what I check in with myself and think about what it is that I need, what is it that I'm feeling, how to process those feelings. Um, Certainly, I believe in therapy, I believe that that should be a staple of everyone's life, mm-hmm. um, even Talk when things it. are going well. <laughs> um, I certainly rely on my faith uh, to get me through. Um, and again, just being mindful um, about um, how I show up. Um, I certainly, again, practicing self-care. It's like I need sometimes I need a massage. Sometimes I need a walk. Mm -hmm. And so I make sure that I take time to check in on myself and very cognizant of the fact of how I show up as a leader, because I don't want to send the signal to um, my staff, my team that I'm stressed out because then that transfers Mm -hmm. to them. So I'm very, very mindful of that. I've worked for leaders who didn't show up as their best selves Mm -hmm. and you could see that stress, mm-hmm. you know, um, sitting right there on their shoulder. And it's mm-hmm. like they kind of pass that monkey on to you. And yeah. so it's something that I've experienced before that I want to make sure that um, I don't um, replicate. Mm-hmm. So I think that self-care um you know, really um, focusing on how you're showing up and checking in with yourself regularly. And, you know, to all of our task oriented people, yes, you can schedule a check in meeting <laughs> with yourself. Yeah. Put it on the calendar. Maybe it's how you start your day, maybe right. it's how you end your day. Mm-hmm. But how are you feeling? Mm-hmm. What are you thinking? What do you need more of? What do you need less of? You could put it in a yeah. journal, you could put it on a note in your phone, you could 
text someone, have an accountability partner, but it's important to check in with yourselves, and especially for those of us that are in the service work. We are serving others. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that we take time to fill our cup in order for us to continue to pour into Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. So very important um, and certainly a tip um, that um, educators, teachers, administrators, staff, parents, Mm -hmm. parents, you need to check in with yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. (laughs) Um, But certainly um, just a way to kind of regulate and make sure because you know every day is not the same your stress levels will will vary throughout the course of a day throughout mm-hmm. the course of a week and so you just kind of have to be mindful self-awareness is one of the strategies about social and social emotional learning that we try to mm-hmm. teach others but that check-in with yourself is a way for you to regulate how you are feeling and your emotions so you can know how you're showing up not yeah. only for yourself but for others your yeah. teammates your family and we need everyone, certainly, if you're serving in CCS, to be your best self. So let's start with that check-in. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so check-in with yourself, a note to self, <laughs> right? Uh, I think for me, like you, Doc, uh, faith is a, is a critical component. Uh, puzzles, every now and then, periodically, we'll, we'll get into some puzzles. That's that's sort of, not like Legos, I, although I thought about Legos. A, it's like a puzzle. Yeah, it is a very 3D much, puzzle. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. much like a puzzle. So uh, I don't have an eight-year-old right now, so there's no, um, it's not, it's, it's, it's right. Dr. Walker. <laughs> I'm not mandatory. Yes. That's right. I can help you out with that. If you need a Lego project that you want to try. But uh, so, hey, listen, I have thoroughly enjoyed um, this time with each of you. This won't be our last time uh, talking about the topic. Um, Certainly, we all are striving and, uh, Doc, I know it's an aspiration for you for us to be well uh, as as an organization. Uh, Change is hard, right? Living things change and changing things grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when we're through living and when we're through changing, we're through. Uh, But um, change can be a challenge, right, as well. But it's also an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's one that we're we're up for. Uh, So we will continue the work and uh, continue the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Until next time, to all of our listeners out there, I'm Todd Walker. And here with our guest, have a great one. Goodbye. Goodbye.